0: I just want to say a happy new year this morning. Can we turn to one another and wish each other a happy new year? Not only are we, in a sense, celebrating a new year, but today is Communion Sunday. And not only is it Communion Sunday, but it's actually also our Vision Sunday, where I will be sharing what our vision is for this year, and not just this morning, but in the next two weeks as well. I'll continue to have this series to share with you the vision that we have for New Wave. And so before I share our vision for this year, can we also greet one another in the way that we always greet each other? That's to give a high five to the person next to you and say we're all in this together. And so the reason that I have us say this is to remind each other that no person is an island, but that we are a family united together in Jesus Christ. Now, today is a very special day, not only because it's actually our first Sunday service as New Wave, but if you don't know, it's actually our first anniversary, that it's been a whole year since we launched New Wave. So can we give a clap offering to the Lord, saying thank you, hallelujah, Jesus for everything that God has done this past year at New Wave and in our lives. Now, the leadership of River of Life had discussed and even asked uh, the leadership at New Wave, you know, are you guys going to throw a big celebration? Is there anything that you're going to do spectacular commemorating this momentous occasion? And you know what we responded, what we said? He said, no, not really, there's a reason why, as we kind of were talking about it and thinking about it. It's because we weren't just aiming for one year. But what we're ultimately desiring and wanting to see is actually more than just a year, but wanting to and aiming to celebrate where we could say after 100,000 years that we are really a ministry that has made an impact in our community, that this is a ministry that has purpose and meaning, that it's not fleeting, but it's everlasting. And so it's, in a sense, this vision that we have, I believe, to build not something simply just for one year or even a hundred years or a thousand years, but we want to build something that will last for generations to come. And in a sense, it's still something that needs to be tested over time. And so we're still anticipating, still praying for that day when we see that vision come to reality. And so I believe that this is why every year, actually, at the beginning of the year, that people, in essence, make New Year's resolutions. How many of here this year has made any resolution? Raise your hand. Have you made a New Year's resolution? Okay, I see a lot of people over on this side, not many uh, over here. But typically, when we make these resolutions, right, we have this hope that it'll last, what, for not just the whole entire year, but maybe for a lifetime. That this is what we desire when we make a resolution, right? In a sense, when we have a vision for our life, it's something that we desire not just to celebrate annually, but it's something that we desire to see in a longer term. But sadly, what do we know about resolutions? Why maybe many of us don't make any more resolutions? Because quickly, what do we realize? That maybe just after a month, that our resolutions, that we don't keep them maybe after just a week, or if you're like me, it doesn't last longer than a day typically when I make a resolution. And so how many of us here, again, I want to ask to take a moment, and if you haven't, because I know a lot of you didn't raise your hands, I want you to think about something in your life right now that if you were to make a resolution right now, what would that be? So really quickly think about it. And so I want you now in that short amount of time, to share it with the person next to you, okay? So if somebody's next to you, share it. If not, you can still keep on kind of thinking about what that resolution may be for this year. But let's take a moment, a very quick moment, just to share with one another what a resolution would be for this year in 2023. So go! So I apologize just again for the sake of time. I hope this was just a short conversation starter that will continue on uh, after service. But let me try to ask everyone here, who here made a resolution that is related to, in some aspect, dealing with healing in your life? Raise your hand. In In any which way, if it dealt with some form of healing in your life, raise your hand. I know, again, Maybe some of us are hesitant to raise your hand. But I want you to think about this. If any of you made a resolution, let me ask, in terms of something that you wish would either change or that there will be a change in your life, raise your hand. Okay, the reason why I bring these two words up is because uh, this past week I was actually looking at uh, this very well-known search engine which annually what they do is they actually compile all of the searches that has happened throughout the year. And what has happened is that in 2021, that what happened was that the word that was most searched, in a sense, and kind of in a sense, not the most word searched, but when they compiled all this data, that what actually the search engine called Google, some of you guys may know, what they found out in the year in review in 2021 in the highlight that they made was is that one of the most searched questions or what was on the hearts of people was healing in 2021. What people wanted to experience was an answer to this question of how can I heal? And then in 2022, just this past year, more than ever, people searched the word change and how can I change? And so that was last year. And as I kind of think about this and think about actually 2023, and I think about actually our congregation, if I were to sum it up in, in one word and have a vision for what is it that's on the hearts of many of our members of what you've been sharing with me, that after praying and think about, thinking about this, the one word that I really believe that God is speaking to us for our vision for 2023 is the word Deeper is the word deeper. Now, I want us to take a look at what this, uh, actually, senior editor at the Clio Network writes. His name is David Giannastio, Okay, This is what he writes. He writes that Google's ear end uh, captures the cultural zeitgeist. Uh, which actually means the spirit of the times, and that they crunch data points and put events in sharp, personalized perspective. These initiatives have become signposts allowing to take uh, stock of the past 12 months and vault ahead with a fresh perspective. And so when, again, I'm thinking about these two words and questions, I realize that ultimately what's in the heart of people, and not just the heart of people throughout this world, but in our congregation, it's not desiring something that's superficial or something that's shallow, but something that's very deep and very meaningful and impactful for their life. And so, again, this word that kept on coming up over over and over again in my mind, as this still small voice was speaking to me, is this word, deeper. That this year, in 2023, that in everything that we do, that we will be very intentional to go deeper, not to settle for something that's shallow, but to dive deeper deeper into everything that we do this year. So I want us not to settle for what is shallow, but to desire what is deeper, to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to go deeper in worship, to experience a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit, to go deeper in the Word of God, to go deeper in our prayer life, to go deeper into our life groups, our friendships, our families in all of our relationships that we would actually desire something that is far deeper than what we've experienced in 21, 22, but we will do this in 2023. And so in the text this morning, this is what I believe we see Jesus is doing, that He's preparing his disciples for actually this great storm that is about to come into their life, into their lives, that there's this change and this shift that is about to happen, as Jesus is preparing them, saying that in the midst of all of this change and the storm that is coming, and how are you to actually weather the storm is you need to go deeper? And so what is Jesus? mean by this we're going to look at the text this morning and to explore what Jesus is telling his disciples he's telling that they need to actually embrace this change that is about to happen in order to experience a breakthrough in their lives that they're seeking and the breakthrough that they want to see in this world and Jesus says to them that right now for a moment i'm with you but i'm going somewhere else That I'm leaving. And as I leave, you're going to experience great grief, but that grief is only temporary because that grief will eventually turn into joy. And so, this is what we see actually in John chapter 16. Starting with verse 33, or actually this is the last verse of the chapter, where Jesus is talking about this world having pain and suffering. Specifically, he says that there's great tribulation that's happening throughout the world. And he says this, It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Let me read that again. It says that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. And you know, Jesus talks about, in a sense, when you read this chapter, he actually talks about what this tribulation and what this pain is like. And Jesus is saying that it's like a woman who's giving birth. That a woman experiences great pain and even sorrow or grief in giving birth. But soon after that child is born, she forgets her anguish because her despair dissipates into the light as new life is brought into this world. Now, I'm not saying that I understand this. Even though I've had four children, I haven't had the experience of giving birth. My wife has, and I'll never dare to say I understand and know exactly what you've been through and what you experience, and some of you I know maybe recently have a given birth or currently are pregnant and also are fearful of what that entails as you look to the days that come, but Jesus here... He's saying that I actually understand. Not that Jesus himself has given birth, but in a sense Jesus is actually talking about actually a birth that we experience that what Jesus is going to go through, the suffering and the pain as he goes to the cross, that he goes through this pain and the suffering in order to bring about new life, a new birth in this world and in each and every one of us and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are born Again and made new. And see, up to this point, what the disciples are seeking and their understanding of why they're following Jesus is because what they're desiring is what this world has to offer. That they're seeking things that we would possibly say are shallow. And they're not digging deeper into the words of Jesus, of what he's actually saying and what he means by this, because Jesus is pointing something. That is far deeper than the understanding of what the disciples and the expectations they have of Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 16, Jesus talks to the disciples about why he came to the earth and why he has to leave. He has to leave in order for then the Holy Spirit to come and to live inside of us. And so when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, what happens is, is that we have this relationship then through the Holy Spirit, which makes us new, that we have this new relationship then with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this is only possible if Jesus goes to the cross and he pays the penalty for our sins so that we, could be made, we can be forgiven and made new and put in a right relationship with God the Father. And so in John chapter 16, Jesus talks about this relationship. He talks about this relationship to the disciples, about this relationship that Jesus has and that he desires for them to have. But now what happens is, is that there's this shift in John chapter 17 where Jesus doesn't just talk about this relationship, but he shows them What that relationship entails and what it actually looks like. So when they see Jesus in chapter 17, what they're actually seeing is something that's different from what Jesus is just teaching and talking about. This relationship that they're supposed to have and this relationship that Jesus has with the Holy Spirit. But now he begins to show them because chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus prays. As he kind of shifts and he turns his eyes and his focus to God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he begins to talk. And this is the longest prayer that's recorded in the New Testament of Jesus praying directly to God the Father. And if you look at the text, this is what we see in John chapter 17. Starting with verse 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven Father, glorify me in your presence, in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. We can see that as we read this over and over again, there's one word that's repeated. What word is that? It's the word glory. There's this huge emphasis that John has if you read the Gospel of John on this word glory. And we see that within just the first five verses of John chapter 17 that the word glory is used five times. And so we need to begin by understanding what does John mean when he uses this word glory? You know, a lot of times we use this word glory, whether it's maybe the songs that we sing or in maybe even our prayers. We, we, we sing songs like, God, we give you all the glory or all is for your glory. But how many times do we ourselves actually understand what this word means. And actually, this word glory is very difficult to understand and what this word means that we try to understand it or to describe it, but it's very, very difficult. And so I'm going to try to give us a glimpse of what this word means, okay? So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines glory as this. It says, it's praise, honor, or distinction extended by common consent, renown, or worshipful praise honor and thanksgiving giving glory to god and i find it very fascinating that when the word glory in the merriam webster dictionary that it associates it in some sense even with God, But even in this definition, it's very difficult to understand or to describe what glory itself actually is. It's more talking about and describing maybe the actions of what glory contributes and what it does rather than talking about what glory itself actually is. I believe another pastor and a theologian, and I've been reading to try to understand for myself personally what glory actually entails, but entails so much and encompasses so much that it's, again, difficult to fully grasp and understand. So this theologian or a counselor, professional counselor and Christian author by the name of Dr. Paul Tripp, writes this, and I think he gives somewhat of uh, adequate explanation. He actually starts out by talking about the difficulty of describing this. He says, glory isn't so much a thing as it is a description of a thing. Glory isn't a part of God, it's all that God is. His greatness, beauty, and perfection, and so on and so forth. Every aspect of who God is and every part of what God does is glorious. But even that's not enough of a description. Not only is he glorious in every way, but his very glory is glorious. Now, there's different aspects of glory if you read the scriptures of what it means depending on the context of what you are reading and what the object or the subject or the author is talking about when he uses the word glory. Now, another way that uh, actually Dr. Tripp talks about trying to understand what glory is, when we try to understand glory in all of its essence, he says it's kind of like a faucet. Think about turning a faucet on and using your hands to try to capture all the water that's coming out, or using a bucket, or trying to use anything that you have to capture, and he says it's impossible. And he says that in some sense, that's a similar understanding to what glory, God's glory actually is entails now even though once again glory means many things we actually see something specific that jesus is pointing to when he is using the word glory here and this is what i want us to see jesus shows his disciples and all of us the glory that he's talking about here is actually his relationship with god the father so look back at verse 3 in John chapter 17. We're going to take a look once again at verse 3. And this is what Jesus says. He says, and this is eternal life. And so this is, in a sense, centered. There's, a, there's this emphasis when you look at glory, that there's glory in verse 1. Uh, that's mentioned glory, glory, glory. And again, at the very end, glory, glory in the sandwich in the center of verse 3. And he's saying that this is what eternal life is. That this is what the glory of God entails. He says, that you know him. That they know you, God. The only true God. And not that they just know you, but that they know me. That it's this intimate and deep relationship with God the Father. A lot of times we think about eternal life and salvation, and a a lot of times we think about actually living forever or actually having treasures in heaven. And there's a lot of thoughts and pictures and images that we have about life eternal. But ultimately, what Jesus is saying is this is what the true meaning of eternal life is that you would know my Father in heaven and that you would know me and have this deep, An intimate relationship. And that is what true eternal life is. And so it's not something that you wait until you pass away or you die. And then you go to this other place called heaven. No, Jesus is saying that you can have eternal life right now. Because eternal life is not just a place, a location, but it's an intimate relationship with the God of this universe. A God of glory. That you can experience that glory that God has when he created the universe. To know you, Father, and to know me. Continues on again in verse 5. And now, Father, he says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so what is the glory that Jesus again is talking about? When you look back, you look at John chapter 1, you look at the very beginning of Genesis, what you actually see Jesus talking about, that before everything was created, what was the glory of God? That from the very beginning before the creation of the world, what you see in the very beginning is the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. You see this intimate and deep relationship between the Godhead, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he says that this is what the glory of God is. Jesus is not just talking about knowing the Father and himself as a son, but he says to God the Father in verse 5, to glorify Jesus with the glory that I had before the world existed, that there's a desire to be with the Father and the Spirit. And that ultimate desire is not just his own relationship with God the Father and the Spirit and what we call the Trinity, but his ultimately desire in leaving us is so that the Spirit could be sent to us so that we could experience that same glory that Jesus experienced in relationship with God the Father himself and the Spirit That it's through the Spirit we can experience that glory that Jesus experienced from the very beginning of time. Jesus says that this is his glory in being one with the Father and the Spirit. To know the Father, Son, and the Spirit so intimately and deeply that you are one with God is the glory that Jesus is ultimately speaking about and he desires for us to have. That this is the glory that we should be seeking. There's nothing deeper than being one with God. There's nothing deeper to being one with God. Jesus says that now this glory that I had before the world began. Jesus says, it's now yours. It's been given to you. This is the glory that Jesus, I believe, is talking about here in chapter 17, that he prays, that the glory he wants for everyone to see is not just Christ alone, but the full beauty of who he is in his relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And when we see the love between the three, then we experience God's glory. And it's through Christ first, but at the same time we also Experience the Spirit, and we receive the Spirit, and reconciled with the Father when we embrace Christ in our lives. And as a church, this is the theme for River of Life: to embrace change and experience breakthrough. And this question maybe comes for some of us, how is this very different from what I hear at work or any motivational speaker or any self-help books that I read? Of course, we all want to embrace change and to experience breakthrough in our lives. But how is the church distinct and different? I believe that all of this actually it is just shallow and superficial unless we first begin by embracing Jesus Christ. When we embrace Christ and the deeper we go into a relationship with Jesus and experience the power of the Holy Spirit and being reconciled with the Father who loves us, then no matter what change happens, we're able to embrace it and to experience breakthrough in our life. So that can only happen when we embrace Christ then we can embrace change and experience breakthrough. Amen, my brothers, sisters, hallelujah. We can make all these different types of resolutions, but it's unless we embrace Christ and go deeper in our relationship with him that when we do that, then we can experience true change and true breakthrough that's not just surface level, that's superficial and shallow. But something deep and meaningful and lasting. And so when we embrace Christ, we can embrace change and experience breakthrough. The deeper our relationship is with Christ, the more we can embrace change and experience breakthrough. And it starts again, as I've been saying again and again. It embrace, begins with embracing Jesus Christ. And when we embrace Christ, we begin to embrace the very things that he embraces and embodies. And so this is what we see if we continue on. I'm going to jump to verses 9 through 10. We see that Jesus' prayer, if we look, and what he's praying about is specifically not in this prayer, praying for the world. Meaning that at this moment when he's about to be crucified, what he is focusing on is the relationship with believers. The relationship with believers and why this should speak to us here at New Wave is is that Jesus, when he prays his prayer, he's not just praying just 2,000 years ago, but it's continually praying till this day. He's praying for the future and even right now and it's continually praying for those who are believers that we have somebody who's a mediator and an intercessor for us, that Jesus is praying for you. Not just for everyone, but he's specifically praying for each and every one of you. And it's calling us into a relationship with him. And then second, he continues to pray if we look at verses 12 through 15. And that not only does he pray for us to experience this relationship, to be one with God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But he's also praying that we will be guarded. We will be protected not just from the tribulations of this world, but if you look at 15, it says, from the evil one. From anything that tempts us, that is satanic, that is spiritually oppressive in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, that Jesus is interceding and praying for you. He's praying for protection against the enemy. And third, we see in verses 17 through 19, Jesus prays. For sanctification, he's praying to God the Father and also the Spirit to sanctify them in the truth that your word is truth. And Jesus is not just praying this, but he himself, we see in verse 19, says that he himself consecrates, He sanctifies himself that also we may be sanctified in the truth. And we need to be sanctified through ultimately the word of God, which is truth. God's truth, that Jesus himself is obedient to the word of God. He's obedient to the point of death on the cross for you and I. And so in the way that Jesus Christ himself sanctifies himself, so are we to sanctify ourselves through the word. And then lastly, the fourth point is that the glory of God, the, God, the glory that God has given to us through Jesus and the spirit and himself is this spirit of unity the unity of the church and we see this in verses 21 through 23 that what jesus prays for ultimately is for our unity that we would be one just as the father and the son and the spirit are one that we would be one that we would be united together as believers and in the church you know there's so many things that divide us You know, whether it's politically, socially, economically, racially, our gender and sexuality. But when we have this intimate and deep relationship with Jesus Christ, our focus no longer becomes on what divides us, but what unites us. And that is Jesus Christ. That this commonality that we have as brothers and sisters, and the way that we see one another is the way that God sees each and every one of us through the lens of what Christ has done on the cross. His love for us. So central to the glory of God is actually unity. It's not necessarily conformity. It's not, in a sense, harmony. But it's unity in the way that God says, just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one, that we would be one. I believe that there's this innate desire for all of us, in a sense, of what was described up to this point when I talk about glory, that we all desire for glory in each and every one of our lives. I believe that it's because we were actually created in God's glory. And so by nature, we actually all seek after glory in one way or another because we're created for glory. And I actually think that many people come to Silicon Valley for this reason. It's for glory but it's for their own glory. But Jesus says that we're not created for our own glory, that the glory of this world is just but a glimmer. It's just a flicker of a light that reflects our hunger and what is in our heart's desire truly to experience and to desire and to want God's glory. But apart from God, what we continually seek after in this world falls short, and we're just constantly striving, never being fulfilled and satisfied until we find our glory in him. We see this in verse 24 that Jesus says that we have yet to see God's glory, to see my glory in its fullness. And Jesus says that there will be a day where we will see his glory. And so Jesus is praying that we would desire it, that we would seek it. For us to be able to see it one day. And so my brothers and sisters in Christ. That we need to constantly encourage one another. To spur one, of one another on. In our relationship with one another. In unity as a church. To desire and to seek the unity of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. To be one with Him. Just as He is one with us. And so this is the greatest glory that we could ever have or experience in the world is the glory of God. And this is so amazing that Jesus says, that glory, God's glory, Says I've given it to you. It's yours. It's yours. If you would only take it and receive it as a gift that I have given to you freely. See, God, who is glory, gives to us his glory. How amazing is that? This is the God in whom we worship, in which we were created for and by his image. We were created for glory, but not for our glory. But we were created by his glory to be his glory for his glory. Let me say that one more time, that we were created for glory by his glory to be his glory for his glory. And as I think about this and reflect that the time that my family has been here in California Um, We are surprised to see how much we travel, because back in Chicago, we barely ever travel at all. We just uh, stay at home all the time, especially during this time in the winter. There's a polar vortex, and there's all the snow, so we would barely go out, but because of the nice weather in California, we travel a lot, and even recently, I was surprised as we traveled to many different places, and just seen the mountains, and even in Fremont right here, we live in Fremont, and you know, I think... That the first year that we were here, everything when we looked at was brown, and people would say that brown is the new green, and I'm like, "Eh, no, it's not. It's it's pretty ugly. Like no matter how you try to spin it or to say it, I'm like, eh, no, like brown is drab, right? Yeah, it's not. But it's so shocking and surprising now when you go out because of the rain and the storms. That now the mountains, when you look at it, it's green. And as I was looking at that, I was like, just so shocked. And so surprised that, I think so many times that, you know, we look online, that we look at pictures of these beautiful places. But how many of us, when we look at these beautiful pictures, are saying that these pictures are enough? Like, oh, that's so beautiful. Okay, I don't need to go there. Oh, that's good enough, just seeing these pictures. No, we understand that these pictures are just a glimpse of actually when we go there and we experience the glory of what we're actually seeing in these pictures, which is just a glimpse, that is significantly different when you actually are there and present in the midst of this glorious, let's say whether it's a mountain or ocean or whatever wonder of the world in whatever country that we experience and we go to in person and we experience that there there is this awe. And it's the same in our relationship with God and even at church That it's not just something that we can read about. We can just only watch online, even though that's good. And there's much that we receive and learn and we grow. But it's only a glimpse unless the people of God gather together in unity. That when we worship together and we dive deep together in community, in the word of God. Experiencing the power of the spirit, transforming lives. And we see that in person, in relationship to one another. We experience the glory of God that cannot be captured in any other way unless the people of God gather together, united together as a family. And then we see that our faith in Christianity is not just about us receiving, but it's also about giving and being in relationship with one another, which means that God again reveals his glory to us. Not just personally, but in relationship and not just relationally, but through the church that Jesus gave his life for the church. And that's why we need the church. Can We turn to one another and say, I need you. I need you. That I can't do this on my own. But that God created us in the image of community. You know, um, I had this conversation uh, this past week with a brother here at church, it was late at night, and uh, it's something that I haven't heard before, but this brother was talking about how he had viewed the church, or he had heard this before, that in a sense that we're all actually on this journey as a church, and in a sense he was sharing how that we're all on actually this boat where we're traveling to our final destination But the question that he was positing is this, is is that a lot of times we forget that the type of boat we're on. And so he raises this question, what kind of boat are we on at New Wave? What kind of boat are we traveling on? Is New Wave more like a cruise ship? That's like the Titanic. Or is New Wave like a rescue boat? Not only a boat... That we're on that saves our lives we're trying to save the lives of others because that perspective makes all the difference in the world what's the reason and the purpose that we're here what is it that we're seeking and striving and desiring for and so why this is very significant is as i again as i think about this is that this is important for us as a church because, in a sense, we need certain anchors to help keep us grounded. Anchors that will keep us safe and secure in the midst of a storm. Um, I was reading again uh, something recently. I, myself, am not a sailor, sailor or any type of a fisherman or a boat expert, but I was surprised to uh, read uh, this kind of uh, commentary that was talking all about what to do if you're on a boat and you're experiencing a storm, especially recently in California, as we've been experiencing this storm, Uh, what do you do, right? What are you supposed to do? And the thing is this, is that when you're in a massive storm or even in a hurricane, that even if you have an anchor on a boat, that one anchor, in a sense, is not enough from keeping that boat afloat or keep it from sinking. That when an anchor is not, in a sense, deep enough in the water and this is in a sense is shallow, that the boat will get destroyed. Or when a single anchor hooks onto, let's say, a pier or something that you feel is a strong foundation, that ultimately what happens is that when a hurricane or storm comes, it'll destroy that pier and the boat itself will capsize and be destroyed. And so when I've read through, and again, I don't know if there's any experts here. You can maybe correct me if I'm wrong. It's fascinating to read that actually you need more than one anchor, that you need at least four, and not just four anchors, but that you need to go deeper with those anchors in order to weather a storm like a hurricane, and so this is actually surprising because I think that biblically this is what we see. We see this in Acts chapter 27. If you take a look, we see this in verse 27 through 29 that when the 14th night had come as we were being driven across the sea about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land so then they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms a little farther on they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms and fearing that we might run on the rocks they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come So why I, in a sense, bring this up is that when I was thinking about the church and understanding in terms of changes that are happening in this world and what is it that we need to do as a church that will last and be meaningful is the two things is that we need four anchors that will anchor us in the midst of these times that we need to go deeper. And what are those four anchors that we have at New Wave is actually the four strategies that we uphold And these are the four strategies that, if you don't know, that we want to this year as New Wave, that in each of these anchors, that we don't want to just be shallow and to maintain currently what we have. But we want to go deeper, to embrace change in order to experience breakthrough in these areas and to experience ultimately the glory of God. And so in the next two weeks, I'm going to be going deeper into what this also means and looks like. But just really quickly, in praise and worship, that when we experience a deeper relationship with God as we praise and as we worship, as we sing, I want to challenge each and every one of us to go deeper in our praise and worship Maybe that means, I don't know, for some of you who are scared of trying to lift up your hands. I don't know if that what it, that's what it looks like to go deeper. I know many of us are fearful. I, I know for my kids when we actually go on a roller coaster even, I think we went to one like a month ago. Like I was asking my kids as they're terrified and scared to let go, to lift up their hands. That it's a different experience. That they actually are not able to enjoy the roller coaster because they're hanging on for dear life and they're so scared and they're fearful. But I remember one of my kids, my son, he lifted up his hands, or my daughter actually, and she's like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. This is so fun. And I believe in some sense that I know many of us are fearful, or even in worship, what are other people going to say or look at me or even for myself. But I believe that when we let go of that fear, we lift up our hands, even in worship, and we go deeper and we experience God's presence, the presence of his spirit and his love. Maybe take a step of faith and trying something new in worship. Maybe some of us don't sing on our own, whether it's be in your cars or in the shower when you sing instead of singing uh, secular songs, to sing worship songs. You know, to maybe write new songs even for the worship team. You know, encouraging for us this year as we're going to twenty twenty three. We're going to bring new songs to go deeper in our relationship and our walk with God. Experiencing that Holy Spirit renewal is a personal experience that we have with God's glory that praise and worship. Primarily, it's to glorify God. But then the Holy Spirit renewal, yes, it's to glorify God, but for us to experience personally God's glory. And I want to challenge us If you haven't been to prayer meetings or been to prayer room, to be able to actually say, you know what, this year I want to go deeper in my prayer life to experience the Holy Spirit in my life to be renewed. That that can't happen without prayer. That in your personal prayer time or even coming to prayer meetings, I want to encourage that. To continually even read maybe books on what it means to actually uh, receive spiritual gifts To read about spiritual renewal in our lives. The third anchor that we have is life groups. Maybe some of us haven't joined a life group. And just asking that you don't have to immediately join, but just to visit a life group. If you haven't taken that step, that you would desire to say, I want to go deeper in my relationships with other believers. So you would join a life group. You go deeper in that life group. Go deeper in the word of God together. Go deeper in worship together. Go deeper in prayer. To even say as a life group, hey, maybe one time as a life group, let's go to a prayer meeting. Not only practice a Holy Spirit renewal in our life group, but go together to experience. And not just to experience for ourselves, but to actually be able to give and to pray for others. That they would experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that maybe some of us in our life groups will go through a Bible reading plan as I know some of you are doing. And again, not just personally, but corporately together. And then lastly, we talk about local impact, that we make an impact globally and locally, and this is focusing mostly on those who are non-believers, unbelievers. And if you haven't been on a mission trip, to continue to pray and to consider to go on missions, not just across globally, globally, overseas but even thinking about locally again personally or even as a life group and also what we are going to do this year as a church and i mean as new wave together that we would reach into our community and so i'm going to share more of that in the coming year and so these are the four anchors that we want to go deep this year and so i just want to say that i've been so encouraged by all of you Um, I hear so many stories of people wanting to go deeper in their relationship, especially at the end of this year, that people personally are doing Bible reading plans, that there's groups that are forming in life groups, and even outside of life group, that there are people saying, hey, can we be accountability partners, and to really pray for one another, and to read the word of God together, to encourage one another. I even hear stories of people going out to other communities to actually serve, The community and it's very encouraging i hear about life groups also reaching their community and having block parties to reach their neighbors and hearing all of these testimonies and stories about what our congregation is doing it's very encouraging and life giving my brothers and sisters that when we go deeper i believe this is how the world will see the glory of god and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to conclude with this final uh, story. And uh, this story has been played over and over again. If you ever watch the Olympics, it's been shown over and over again for many, many years. And this Olympic story is one of the most inspirational and touching stories that really captures the heart of what the Olympics is supposed to be about. It's a story about a father and a son named Jim and Derek Redmond. Now, uh, why this recently came up for me was because this past October, uh, Derek's uh, father, Jim, had passed away. And so the Olympics, again, made this huge uh, kind of uh, publication and a video about this story. And so what this story is about, it ultimately entails these Father and son who are best friends. And they have this deep and intimate relationship that they cannot be separated from one another. And it was actually during the 1992 Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona that Derek had arrived, that Jim's son had finally arrived, determined to win a medal in the 400-meter dash because at the age of 19 Derek had shattered the record of the British 400 meter race and so everybody was expecting anticipating that in the Barcelona Olympics that Derek was going to win a gold medal he was favored to actually win that race what we see is that actually what happens is that years before that in 1988 in the games in Seoul he was also favored to win But 10 minutes right before the race, he had an injury, his Achilles tendon, had shattered. He underwent five surgeries over the next year, but eventually overcame that adversity and qualified for the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. And so, it was finally his time, his stage, his moment to shine for all the world to see. So we see what happens is that Derek and Jim are ready for this competition as together they went in all of their races together that Jim was there to see his son win this race. The day of the race arrives and the top four finishers in each of the two semifinal heats will qualify for the Olympic final and this was... You know, something that would be very simple for Derek. And the stadium was packed with over 60,000 fans racing for this event. And so the race begins as the gun shoots. Derek immediately keeps pace with the other runners. And Derek keeps on telling himself, keep it up, Derek. Keep it up, Derek. Keep it up. He says to himself, as he's actually down the backstretch, about 175 meters away from finishing, he knows he's a definite shoe in for the finals. But then suddenly he hears a snap and a pop in his right hamstring. Eric says, no, no, not again. As his face begins. to Bow down, his legs begin to quiver, and he drops down to the ground. he lays down on the track, clutching his hamstring. And on the track, Derek realizes that his Olympic hopes and dreams are all crushed. As tears are running down his face, a medical crew is about to arrive. And then Derek says, there's no way, no way I'm getting on this stretcher. I came here to finish this race. I'm going to finish it. And he gets up and he begins to hobble. And as he lifts himself up, The crowd, as they're looking at the other runners, finish the race. Suddenly, they turn their attention towards Derek. People start to rise, and they start to cheer his name, to cheer him on as he's hobbling to try to finish the race, not knowing whether he's able to cross the finish line. But then suddenly, what happens is there's this man who runs down from the stands, jumps over the fence, and two security guards try to stop him. And this man says, "'I'm Jim! I'm Derek's father!' You're not going to stop me. There's no way you're going to stop me from reaching my son. And so he breaks free from the security and he grabs his son. And he says, I'm here, Derek, I'm here. We'll finish together. Derek puts his arms around as He begins to weep, begins to sob. And together they begin to walk towards the finish line. And as the crowds begin to cheer, cross over the finish, line together. And then Jim tells Derek on television, I'm the proudest father to have ever lived. In a similar sense, I believe that this is the story that we see between the love that God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, has and not just the Father and the Son, but the Spirit that you see in this Olympic story that when the world sees the love between a father and a son, a love that's so deep that this world, it draws their attention and it captivates their heart that they desire also to have that type of relationship. And that's what God offers to us. And he says that you can experience this type of love and the glory that I have with God the Father and the Spirit. If only you would enter into it and to receive it. My brothers and sisters, this morning, I want to challenge us that we would dive deep. That we would go deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. To experience the fullness of the glory of God that he has to offer to us. So this morning, let's bow our heads as we enter into a time of communion. As the worship team comes up that there is a change in the way that we are doing communion this morning. And as the ushers also come at this, up at this time, the ushers will be distributing the elements. And we ask that it's those here at New Wave, at River of Life, that those who have confessed their faith in Jesus Christ through the act of baptism, that we would take a cup. So as the ushers are distributing the elements that we would take this time to really pray that Jesus is inviting each and every one of us into this intimate relationship. How is God speaking to you this morning to go deeper? In what way are you convicted to go deeper as Jesus Christ gave his life for each and every one of us? And so at this time, as the ushers pass out the elements, you would take a cup, and you would wait that there's bread on the top, a wafer. And some of you maybe it might be on the bottom. But that you would take that and wait. And even the cup that you would wait until we all have received and we will partake together. The communion in which Jesus Christ, the night before he was crucified. And he prepares a table for you and I. And invites us into this intimate and deep relationship where Jesus shows his disciples the love that he has for them as he washes their feet, as he humbles himself. He washes their feet and he tells them to do the same. He invites them to the table even though they'll betray him. They'll deny him, but Jesus still says, I love you. Maybe there's ways that you feel that you've been running away or even have denied Jesus Christ, but Jesus says, it's okay, I love you come to receive that I have given you life and life to the fullest. I want you to experience my glory that I've had from the very beginning with the Father and the Spirit. Won't you experience that? Not just personally, but together as a family and you wave that just as the Father and the Son are one, that we would be united as one that Jesus has made a way and through communion it's a symbol recognizing that we are united as one through what Christ has done. And that when the world sees that unity of the body of brothers and sisters here at New Wave, that they will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord.